Girl, I've been working out with a trainer five days a week. Oh, really? What are you going to do when I'm the hot, sexy one on this podcast, girl? I mean, you know, let's cross that bridge when we come to it, okay? Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. So. Hi, Ellen Mars. Hi, Patricia. You guys, welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping our favorite show, IDs Disappeared. Welcome. We're so happy that your ears brought you here. What? I didn't work through that. <laughs> I just started talking, my mouth moved, and I went along with it. Anyway. You guys, if you want more Ellen and me, join us at the Drama Club. It's our Patreon. It's where you get all the bonus stuff. You get three full bonus episodes a month. Right now, we're covering Snapped. We're covering something else very soon. There's already like nine full bonus episodes for you to go download and binge right this second. I was saying this last week, girl. I think our bonus stuff sometimes is some of our funniest material. I don't know what it is because we're truly, truly not censoring ourselves because those are our besties, our people that already love us. So I think we feel at liberty to be even more obnoxiously so ourselves <laughs> because we're just in a room of our closest friends. But it is so fun. And then once a month, it has truly become one of the highlights of my weeks. We play live trivia. We play true crime trivia, OWD trivia, Ellen and Patrick trivia. We call on our listeners live to come play with us. You can also play at home. One last thing, you guys. Every Friday night, we go live on our Instagram. It's The Disappeared Pod. We call it Friday Night Live. We take your questions. We hang out. We yell at each other. Or we love on each other. You never know what you're going to get. Because Frank. <laughs> <laughs> you never know how Ellen and I feel about each other day by day. It's a, I, what is it? How would you describe our relationship, girl? It's truly authentic. <laughs> <laughs> we live, we are living, breathing human beings, feeling all of our emotions in the very instant that we feel them and we express them to each other <laughs> with the greatest of ease. For better or worse, baby! <laughs> <laughs> Usually it's the worst. All right, you guys, season four, episode five, Missing Valentine, tells the story of the disappearance of Patricia Viola. A devoted New Jersey housewife and mother of two inexplicably vanishes in the middle of a routine school day. Everything appeared the way it would on any other given day. Her pocketbook with all her personal belongings was in the house and she was gone. At first, there seems to be no trace but it's not long before hidden animosities come to light. I have never, never seen Pat react that way. She was not herself. And a decade-long police investigation reveals this small town is not as idyllic as it appears. Girl, there's going to be a lot of Patricia in this. There's going to be a lot of Patricia all around. I know. The main character, me. <laughs> me in me news. This takes place like 20 minutes away from me. I know people who live in this town. Oh, this is a Jersey thing. You guys, yeah. lots of bodies buried in New Jersey. No offense, New Jersey. But you got a lot of bodies buried there, people. So it's February 13th, 2001. It's a cold afternoon in a town called Bogota. And I know that's not what it's really called. But that's how it's spelled. It's Bogota, New Jersey. And I said, girl, I thought Bogota was in Columbia, girl. Yeah, it's Bogota, my love. It's a cold afternoon in Bogota, New Jersey. A quiet town just across the George Washington Bridge and seemingly a universe away from the throng of New York City. Bogota's a small town. It's about seven-tenths of a mile. We're about two miles outside of New York City. So we meet Captain James Sepp, and he's sort of telling us about Bogota, which is a small town. He says it's about seven-tenths of a mile, and I'm just like, yeah. I, I don't know math, sir. Can, how many blocks is it? <laughs> how many streets yeah. does it have? But I do love it. They do this thing that every person who lives in New Jersey says. Now listen, there is a time when you're a young person and you move out of Manhattan and you move to the suburbs, you move to New Jersey, or you move to Westchester. You're your proximity to the city is what keeps you alive, right? You're like, oh, we're moving, but we're, just, we're 20 minutes outside of the city. We're 20 minutes. We're right through the tunnel, 10 minutes past the tunnel. And this guy does it within the first 30 seconds. He's like, yeah, it's about, it's about two miles outside of the city. Jersey people only live to tell their proximity to New York City. That's all we do. How have I never heard of this town? Bogota, like two miles outside of New York City? How have I never heard of this town? It's not two miles outside of the city. It's like 20 minutes from me, and I'm 20 minutes outside of the city. I'm thinking 
they're talking the top of Manhattan, like over the GW. Oh. Yeah. So we're meeting this guy. He's 40-year-old Jim Viola. He's left his nine-to-five job as an engineer at Honeywell. He left early this day. I said, that sounds like a very grown-up job. An engineer at Honeywell? Yeah, and at the minute they said he left early, I was like, is it the husband? Is it the husband? Why did he leave work early? As he navigates traffic from Morristown to Pagoda, he thinks of his wife, Pat, who's probably at home preparing dinner, as she has every day for the last 14 years of their married life together. We are told he's on his way home thinking about his wife, Pat, who's probably at home making dinner the way she has every night for the last 14 years of their married life together. And I said, Jim, you can't take her out to dinner one time, girl. (laughs) One time in 14 fucking years, she's at home slaving over the stove, getting dinner on the table for your ass when you get home, girl. They don't have a restaurant in that town. It's too small. (laughs) They have to go to another town. They got to go to another town and Jim's not here for it. Get back in the kitchen, Patricia. But as he walks through the back door of his house, balancing Valentine's Day gifts in his briefcase, he's surprised to discover the burglar alarm has been activated and Pat's not home. I was quite shocked because when you open the back door, the first thing you hear is you hear the beeping that the alarm is set. So I dropped everything that I had in my hand and ran over to the panel because they only give you like 20, 30 seconds before the alarm will trip. At the same time, I'm thinking, where is Pat? It was very unusual. He's doing that thing where he's telling us that like, oh God, he walks in and he hears the beeping that like the burglar alarm has been tripped and now he's only got 20 or 30 seconds to turn the thing off before the alarm starts. And I got very panicky. I'm like, I would be all thumbs in that situation, girl. Yeah, I mean, you are a bull in a china shop on your best of days. So, yes. He comes home expecting his wife to be there. And dinner on the table. And dinner on the table. And since she's usually home, there's no reason for the alarm to be on. So, and as we've learned on Disappeared, every town has a different set of rules. So apparently in this magical place of New Jersey, if you're home every day at 5 o'clock and the one day you're not at 5.05 and you're not home, you can absolutely report that person missing. That's what we learned. He doesn't do it. That's not what happens No, he doesn't do it. But the (laughs) cop that is telling us wants you to know if your wife isn't where you left her cooking dinner with a hot meal on the table, you have every right to call the cops at 5.05 p.m. So if anybody is looking for like the most misogynistic town in the U.S. of A., it is Bogota, New Jersey. Hey, can we commend the police force on taking a missing persons report when you know something is wrong and your person is missing? Yeah, I liked my little hissy fit better, though. (laughs) Pat is the kind of woman whose entire life revolves around the stable comforts of home. Just a few weeks earlier, 42-year-old Pat Viola was beaming as she presented one of her famous homemade birthday cakes. At least outwardly, the Viola family has seemed picture perfect since Pat and Jim met in 1982. At least outwardly? Oh, I know. Shit. <laughs> Also, during this like montage, we see a flashback of this family at a water park. And I said, Jim, I see you, girl, with that arm strategically placed over the belly. Talk about knowing your angles, girl. Those are the angles I know. I'm like, somebody give me a baby. <laughs> Anyone got a laundry basket? <laughs> a watermelon, perhaps? <laughs> it's summer. I can hold it. Why is Patrick holding a watermelon in every picture? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Except for the other chubby guys. It's the middle of December. Yeah. All the chubby guys are like, oh, I know. I know why. Aww. <laughs> they go on to tell us that weeks before this day that Pat isn't home, she made a homemade cake. Like, ID isn't even trying at this point. Like, it is nowhere near yeah. looking like the homemade cake that you know Pat worked tirelessly right. over. <laughs> they went to the stop and shop. They grabbed the cheapest cake they could, and they didn't even take off the wrapper. I'm not here for it, Christopher. <laughs> Don't come for me today. You guys, are you ready to meet friend Toinette? Well, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) welcome to the stage, the star of the episode, Toinette. The day of Pat's wedding, she was radiant. Her eyes were like, like jewels. You're going to have to give us the introduction to Toinette, why she's here, what she says, exactly verbatim how she says it. My name's Toinette Fazio Markowitz. <laughs> That's her real name, you guys. That's her real fucking name. As you can tell from my abbreviated name, Fazio, that's the Italian side of my family, Markowitz. I married a lovely Jewish man. You know, they, they, <laughs> they say it's like oil and water, and I, I beg to differ. The Jewish culture is very much like the Italian culture. I digress. Let me tell you about my friend. <laughs> Pat, 
Her eyes like jewels. Okay? Her eyes. You walked in the room, all you could see was her. That's all you could see was her. Like jewels, I'm telling you. Like it was like the baby Jesus took jewels from the sky and put them in her eyes. All right. The way she says ha. Huh. Oh, she, every time she says ha, huh, I was like, and and I don't know what to do with that. It's amazing. When that is with us throughout, she's sort of here to like just sort of tell us about Pat. We learned that, you know, Pat and Jim quickly have two kids, a girl and a boy, and we're told that they were living the dream and they thought life would always be this sweet. And I said, not if you're on an episode of Disappeared, girl. Yeah. If you make your way to that show, things did not go as planned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not as planned. We're back at our day. We're at February 13th, 2001. Still in Bogota, New Jersey. Yeah. I keep saying it like that. And then we're going to get like Bogota. 27 DMs. You know we are. <laughs> I live in Pagoda, let me tell you. So, you know, the kids head out the door at 8.15, and she's not far behind because Pat was leaving to volunteer at her son's school library. Everything was fine. Everything was normal. While she's at the library, unbeknownst to her, her house alarm goes off. Well, at some point during the morning, the house alarm went off. They do have a house alarm, and it went off. The alarm company follows protocol. They try Pat at the house. Jim at his office, and then Pat's mother, who lives nearby. Pat's mother leaves a worried message for her daughter at home. The alarm company call is also routed through to the Bogota police station. This alarm company, I feel like Jim and Pat are their only clients. Yeah, like they're just sleeping in there. <laughs> oh, they're, 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 something's happening. Yeah, but at any rate, the only person who doesn't find out about it is Pat because she's blissfully working in the library, working on the Dewey Decimal System or something. And the alarm company calls the police. The police go out to the house and they do like a perimeter check where they like, there's no broken doors, there's no broken windows. I guess everything's okay. And I was like, do you think if maybe the robber got in through an open window, they just closed it behind him because they knew that you were coming? Yeah, I mean, more on that later. But I just feel like the cops are like, there's definitely nothing here because from the outside of the house where we can't see anything, we can't can't see a robber inside the house. Like, could you go in, sis? Are they allowed to? If they're not, they should be. Then why are we calling you in the first place? <laughs> you guys, he literally throws, when he yells like that, just so you guys have a visual, he throws both of his arms up like a Kathy cartoon. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't understand. Like, the burglar is going to, like, leave the door open. Yeah. Like, of course everything looks fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, what is the point of the cops coming in, like, looking at the outside of the house? They're not burgling the outside of the house, cops. No one's after the fucking patio furniture. They're going for the jewels, as Tonette says it. Taking them out of her eyes. They're taking them out of her eyes, and they're trying to steal the jewels. That's what they're doing. So, Hat is totally unaware all of this is going on. At 1140-ish, She's walking home. She sees the mailman. She chats with the mailman. Even the mailman knows. They're like, hey, your, your, your alarm company texted me. Did you know your alarm went off? She's like, no, you don't say. <laughs> like everyone in the town knows what went down. So it's not until she gets home and she hears a message from her mom because her mom was alerted that the alarm went off that she even knows anything happened while she was gone. The phone call to her mother was the last time that we could actually document someone had spoken to Pat. About an hour later, Pat does one last traceable task. According to a report from the security company, she performs a reset on the house alarm at 1.11 p.m. So the cops tell us that the last thing they know she did was at a 1.11 p.m. she resets the alarm, right? Well, I mean, someone reset the alarm. But the thing is, I get that it could be not her, but they're saying you have to know a code to reset the alarm. And you and I were talking about this off mic. Like, easily some criminal could have a gun to her Yeah, and be like, something. tell me the code. Yeah, but I mean, she got home at like 11.40, and this happens at 1.11. So if she's inside the house with the criminal for like over an hour, that sucks for Pat. Yeah. And frankly, explains why she doesn't have dinner on the table. <laughs> Jim's like, well, I'll excuse it this yeah. one time. As Jim surveys the house, the scene begins to look even more bizarre. Pat's coat is gone, but her purse is sitting on the counter. When Jim searches the bag, he's baffled by what she left behind. Her pocketbook with all her personal belongings, her cell phone, her ID, and her keys was in the house. And she was gone. Another strange thing is one key was left on the counter, and that 
key sits in the back door deadbolt. And like, I used to have a key like that in my house. Like it locked. You did? It locked from the inside and the key always sat there. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, was- yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. Because I was kind of like, why would you leave the key on the outside of the house? No, on the inside. And just leave it there all the time. Yeah, it okay. was like an inside locking key. So the key just sits in the deadbolt. And that key was on the counter. And then I was like, what's going on with all the pills on the counter? I'm like, it's like a fucking pharmacy rich white lady party over there with like all these bottles of pills. And then my question was immediately answered. Immediately. I was like, uh, sis, it's not the fun pills. It's not the fun white lady pills. It was like the actually we have a serious medical condition pills. Pat's purse with all her personal belongings is still in the house, including medication she takes twice a day for epilepsy. Pat keeps her condition under control by being vigilant about taking her medication regularly. It's now almost five. Her next dose is due in a few hours, and if she misses it, she'll be at risk for a seizure. We learned that she is taking medication for epilepsy. And I don't, I don't know if there's varying degrees of like, do you have epilepsy really bad or not? I don't know. But her condition is serious enough that she has to take these pills a couple times a day. And her husband is really worried because she obviously doesn't have them wherever she went. And it's about an hour until she needs to take them, like the next dose of them. So Jim's like, this is so weird. And of course, his brain is doing all those things. Maybe she went out, you know, to go grab last minute Valentine's for the kids maybe she went out you know maybe she didn't have an ingredient for that dinner that I've been looking forward to all day maybe she was missing the paprika and she had to go out or something so he's kind of like you know thinking of all these things that could happen but this is where we learned that if she indeed was out anywhere she would have had to take the bus because in November of 2000 her driver's license was revoked in November of 2000 a disturbing event occurred in the Viola house and it had a powerful ripple effect on the winter that followed. Michael and I were at a hockey game. My sister was here with uh, Pat, and the Pat took a major grand mal seizure. Ambulance was called, and she landed in the hospital. She recovered, but it was a pretty bad seizure. The seizure was so severe that her doctor recommended her driver's license be suspended for three months. When Pat lost her driving privilege, it was a major downer for her. She had a grand mal seizure, which a grand mal seizure is like when you think about a seizure, that's, a you know, when you like uh-huh. lose consciousness and you have sort of the muscle spasms, you know, with medication, they are very, very much, you know, tapered down. And I did look it up. So in the state of New Jersey requires physicians to report patients who suffer those seizures to the Motor Vehicle Commission within 24 hours. And Ugh. yeah, and that's why she had her license revoked for three months. And, you know, that was really like sad having your independence stripped. So if she was anywhere, she was either walking or taking public transportation. Yeah. And so her friend Juanette says she didn't like having her freedom taken from her. Who does? Right. <laughs> yes. Nobody. Nobody. I'm telling you right now. So February 6, 2001, she goes for the follow-up for her seizures. She's like, yay, oh, you know, I get my driver's license back. And they're like, ugh, hate to tell you this, sis. You're going to be without your license for three more months. And, like, think about that. She's like, a, she's like a soccer mom who lives in the suburbs. Like, her whole life is taking her kids to, like, band rehearsal and soccer practice and going shopping. And it's the holidays, and she wants to go shopping for her kids, and she can't do any of that. So that's really sad. But this is when Toinette says, Several family crises were occurring one right after the other. And we learned that. I'm um, sorry, sorry. I don't. Had- I'm not. I'm not here to like nitpick. But they kept happening yeah. one after another, <laughs> one after another, like that. So I just, just so the people know, just so the people know. You're right. Thank you. You're right. You're right. Jim's mom took ill, and it was extremely difficult raising two children, going back and forth to the hospital and maintaining regular household chores. Adding more tension to the mix, Jim's sister Donna recently moved in with the family after a rough breakup with her boyfriend. So Jim's sister Donna moves in with the family, and let me ask you this, what is the opposite of a down bitch? 
Oh, that is a great question. Uh, a fucking pain in the neck? Yeah, this fucking pain in the neck. Jim's sister Donna moves in after a breakup. Now, as far as I can tell, Donna's an adult. Yeah. And she's moving in with Jim and Pat after this breakup. Apparently, it was Pat's idea. But then we learn Donna has been smoking inside the house. <laughs> Do you know what I wrote? I just wrote- What? Ew. That's it. Just EW. Ew. Who does that? You're a guest in their home. They've taken you in and you're smoking in the house? Yeah. And apparently not even cleaning up after yourself. Like Pat's got to clean up after her. Is there anything more fucking disgusting on earth than cleaning up somebody else's ashtray? No. Well, beyond being disrespectful, it's actually very dangerous. I actually had a friend pass away from smoking in their bed because he passed out with a cigarette in his bed. It should be a Against a lot of smoke inside, you guys. Yeah. If you're a smoker and you smoke inside, knock it off. Knock it off. On February 12th, 2001, Pat is cleaning up Donna's bedroom and spots something maddening. Cigarette burn marks on the guest bedspread. Pat was very worried about this. Like, you don't want to have the house burned down. I just wrote death penalty. Death penalty. Yeah. This woman gets the death penalty. Right. So she goes upstairs. She's pissed. She tells Jim about it. And they're like, listen, we need to have a talk tomorrow. And she's like, but tomorrow we're going to Toinette's for a party. So we'll do it after because you know how I love Toinette. <laughs> so... Twinette is having some big-ass house party, you guys. Twinette lives in Brooklyn, and the whole crew is going to Twinette's house for this party. And this situation is bananas. Because we learn that when they get there, Pat is, like, not in a good mood. She's really mad about the bedding and the cigarette burns. And she goes and finds Twinette, and she's like, bitch, we need to talk. Powwow in the bathroom. I remember Pat walking in the door here. She looked so pretty. Makeup was perfection. But she was not herself. I know she was hurting on the inside, outside a million bucks. Let me tell you right now. Why don't you ever say these things about me? No. <laughs> no. I'm like, he walks in, he's kind of a mess in a dress. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, I never... <laughs> I never know if Patricia needs Jesus or backup any any day of the week. I'm not quite sure. Do you need me to pray for you or do you need me to call someone? No, her makeup perfection. I am obsessed with Twinette. Away from all the party guests, Pat begins crying and says something is wrong, but it's too complex to go into now. She asked me please not to go away on vacation for President's Week with the plans that I had. She asked me instead if she and I could go so we could talk, that she needed to take care of something. Pat gets Twinette alone in a back bedroom, and she's like, bitch, shit is going down. I cannot tell you what it is, but I, you and I need to go away for the weekend so I can, I guess, tell you what's happening. Twinette's like, I would love to do that. It's President's Day, and I've already got plans. What? You know how I love President's Day. <laughs> Listen, I would do any, I would give you my kidney. You know that, right? <laughs> but it's President's Day. I can't be torn away from President's Day. This is not the first time this come up I on know. this podcast. I will never President's know how Day. you people know these holidays. I will never know. But you know what? Pat immediately recognizes that things are not okay. She's got to cancel her President's Day plans and she does. And she's like, you know what? We are going to go away for the weekend so you can tell me what's wrong because I guess you can't tell me right here even though we're both alone in a room. Which makes Twinette the what of the episode. Down bitch. The down bitch, down bitch. Down bitch, down bitch. <laughs> So the next morning, Twanette, I cannot say, her name is Twanette. We're saying it right? Twanette. Yes, we are absolutely saying it right. Twanette. Twanette calls Pat to like solidify their President's Day weekend plans. And she says Pat sort of brushes off the conversation from last night. She wants to talk about Valentine's Day. And I just wrote down like in my brain, Twanette is like, bitch, I canceled my President's yeah. Day for you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Pat says something that sends Twanette reeling. She asks her to please look after the kids. No matter what happens. At that time, I cried into her, and she just said to me, I can't discuss it now. But it's important enough that I need you to be there to listen to me. And I could tell by her voice that it was important. Like, here's the thing. 
if I ever take you into a bathroom and I'm like, shit's going down, I can't really tell you about it. And you're like, okay, we'll go away for President's Day. You'll give me the full story. If I follow that up with, but take care of Daisy if anything happens, you have every right to be like, you are not leaving this bathroom until you fucking tell me everything. Right. Also, let me just say, do you know what doesn't fly with me? Someone saying, I need to talk to you later. Bitch, talk to me now. You're <laughs> yeah. not talking to me later. Because no. you know what I'm doing all night long is I'm yeah. thinking about what you need to talk to me about later. Yeah, so just, that does not fly with me. You want to? So that is never. Ha- I need to talk to you later. <laughs> Bitch, later is now. If oh, something happens to me, I would have the CIA, the FBI, the KGB on the... If something happens to me... I know. Absolutely I know. not. But wait, the best part of this whole story is that after she gets off the phone with Toinette, Pat then storms down into the basement and rips Donna a new asshole about the smoking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pat came down the steps and she seemed to be very angry and then yelling at Donna and Donna was very shocked and bordering on tears because this was not Pat. It was out of character. I don't think I've ever seen her raise a voice at all, you know, to anybody. Donna described her like a raven maniac. I have never, never seen Pat react that way. Everybody on the episode was like, Pat, that was not like Pat. Pat, (laughs) we're not talking Patricia Hines here. We're talking uh -uh. Pat Viola. Patricia Hines? We'll rip yeah. you a new one for bringing Thousand Island instead of the ranch that she ordered. <laughs> Pat Viola? Do not. Do not fucking bring Thousand Island into my house if I ask for ranch. Do not do it. Because I've been fantasizing about what we're going to dip in the ranch. Right. It's good for celery. It's yeah. also good for french fries. Put it on a potato. Wings. You're going to show up with Thousand Island? Yeah. No, no. Thousand Islands. Let me tell you what Thousand Island is. Thousand Island's a little bitch. It's a combination <laughs> of ketchup and like some other kind of dressing. I don't need your shit okay it's, it's relish you monster it's it's ketchup mayonnaise and relish i think <laughs> so i just have in this i have this section fuck donna yeah whatever pat said to her the head spinning around on her shoulders so out of fucking character donna had all of it coming the hospitality of your brother and his wife allowing you to live with them and you're gonna smoke in their basement and ruin their bedding Donna! Yeah, I mean, you are always, as a guest, supposed to treat your living situation, if you are a guest, better than you treat your own home. So what the fuck does Donna do in her home? Also, spoiler, Donna's not on this episode. We don't know where Donna is, okay? (laughs) But that bitch did not answer the phone when ID called. It cuts back to Donna. She's like, I did do that. I did did actually burn holes in the comforter. Donna! Yeah, the entire audacity of Donna is something that I have really not come to terms with. Nope. So we're back on the night that she goes missing. Nighttime. Sweet Jim has called everyone he can think of. He's called friends. He's called relatives. And finally, his son, Michael, 10 years old, at like 11 o'clock, says, looks at him and yeah. says, where's mom? Around 11 o'clock, I turned to my dad before I went to bed and I asked him, where's mom? Where is she sleeping tonight? Is she okay? And he really didn't have an answer. And that was very upsetting. That night was certainly a rough night. When you gotta put your kids to bed and then their mom isn't home, it was it was a tough one. Look, she's been missing since like four in the afternoon. Nobody knows where she is. Donna is still smarting from the talking to she got yesterday. So Donna's not a part of this at all. Right. But I love that it was like the little kid at 11 o'clock being like, where's mom that made you finally decide to call the fucking cops? Are you kidding me? I sort of get it just because, you know, all those excuses. What if she's out shopping? And, you know, they went through a lot of, you know, what if she had a seizure? What if she's somewhere without her phone? I mean... You know, I see both sides of the story, but yeah, it wasn't until later that night that he finally called. And listen, not for nothing, the Bogota police sent two officers straight to the house. The next morning, Captain James Sepp sees the report on his desk and he's like, let's go. And he, you know, what? you're pronouncing it between Bogota and Bogota. You're saying like, but you're like Bogota. You're saying Bogota. So you're not saying it right either, Miss New Jersey. What did I say just this last time? Bogota. You're calling it Bogota. I don't think I do. Jennifer, can we get a reply? <laughs> yeah. So I have to hear from always missing. The Bogota police sent two officers straight to the house. 
How do you like them apples? Uh, anyway, the police in Bogota, New Jersey, we're, this town is seven-tenths of a mile. Of course, like, this is the only call the cops are getting all week. Although, we are about to find out that this town that is seven-tenths of a mile is not a safe place, you guys. Some real dirty shit goes down in this town. Yeah, we'll find out later. So, the time frame that they're dealing with here is 1.11 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. I'm still not convinced she reset that alarm. That's totally me. They don't talk about that in the episode. Yeah, We yeah. know she didn't drive anywhere, so they start, listen, they start stopping buses on their route. They're like, hey, hey, stop. No, 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 I don't want to get on. No, I'm not getting on. No, I don't have the fare because I'm not getting on. No, I have a question. A question. Have you seen this woman? And they're like, what? No. I mean, I take the bus. I take New Jersey Transit in the before time. Yeah. They're not the friendliest people you ever met. <laughs> I did once date. Oh, my God. I once got on a a New Jersey transit bus, and I sat in the front, and the driver was so fucking hot, and he started talking to me, and then I realized he was flirting with me, and I was like, what is happening? Like, this guy obviously has a wife and 10 kids. I got off the bus. He asked me for my phone number, and I said, are you gay? And he lifted up his pant leg and had a gay pride tattoo on his ankle. He goes, we come in all shapes and sizes. I know. We went on two dates, and then he wasn't that into this. And he's probably still driving a New Jersey transit bus to this day. Right, yes. So, you know, they do everything right. They call the Port Authority police to see if she got on any planes. They're canvassing the neighborhood on foot. They bring in the dogs, but there's nothing. And, like, I've got questions about that. Like, there's no scent of her anywhere. Yeah, that was... You know what? (laughs) I love dogs more than anything. I would probably lay my life down for a dog. But in these episodes, these dogs don't fare very well. (laughs) No. We've got yet to have a dog find a body. That's all I'm saying. Prove to me that it works. We really, really put a lot of faith and love into these dogs. And not one time have they been like, and the dog found it. Not one time. (laughs) Not once. Not once. I gave up on men. I could easily give up on dogs, you guys. Listen. Stay tuned. Uh, honey, is it that you gave up on men or did they just go ahead and give up on you, honey? What's cute about you is uh-huh. you always, like, it's funny how you try and hurt my feelings as if I have any uh-huh. left. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's cute. So now we're like, they have to get into her mental state. And the only reason we're even talking about this is because we learned some bananas information. They're talking about how close they lived to the George Washington Bridge. The George Washington Bridge, which spans the Hudson River is just a few miles away. The bridge has a notorious reputation for attracting people who are suicidal. But Sepp quickly rules it out. No one in that time frame had jumped off the bridge. And if someone did jump off the bridge, they would have recovered the body from the river. And that didn't happen. People jump off that bridge so often that the days where people don't jump are the memorable ones. That is really, really scary. I do go over the GW, and it is high up. I'm always convinced, whenever I'm in a vehicle on the GW, I'm like, well, this is when it's going to break. How do those bridges stay up? I really don't get it. But then we learn about another area called the Cliffs, which I'd never heard of before. However, if you go a little bit further north on the Palisade Interstate Parkway, there's an area commonly called the Cliffs. What you see is what appears to be a nice sheer rock face wall. The rock wall is choked with undergrowth, and it often takes years to recover the bodies of those who've jumped there. You can see the cliffs from New York City. If you're in northern Manhattan and you look across the water, like you can see the cliffs over there. But apparently, like this place called the cliffs is a place also where people go to die by suicide. And they were saying that because of the way, like the angle of the rocks and how hard it is to get down to the bottom, it takes years for them to recover bodies when people jump off of the cliffs. Yeah. I mean, the consensus among people and everybody there is saying, you know, of course she would never do that. She loved her family. She loved her children. But we do know that there is always something going on inside of people that we don't know about. I want to say, like, Normally, you monologue about this shit, but I'm going to go ahead and take yeah, it this week. Yeah, go ahead. Her friend, Toinette, says she loved her family too much to die by suicide, and that's just not a thing. Yeah. It's, you know, and I learned that the hard way on True Crime Obsessed. I got into trouble because I made a comment about, like, how could any parent kill themselves if they have kids? I called them, like, monstrous. And I got more feedback on that than I ever got on anything. I spent an hour talking to a therapist about it because I wanted to get educated. And, like, I just learned that, like, when people feel like the world is better off without them, and that's why they die by suicide. So, 
Yeah, I wanted to monologue for a minute this week. I love your monologues. Your monologues are way more impactful than mine because I just yammer and then end up crying, and you actually make a good point. Look how cute you are. Thank you so much. I like to make my monologues. So they start to go down this road, obviously. They have to investigate Jim, right? Of course. We had to actually nail down his whereabouts and all his actions surrounding those dates and times. I took off the afternoon from work and went shopping for Valentine's Day gifts because that was the next day. Then your wife goes missing in the afternoon that you decide to take off from work. You know, they question that, of course. Unfortunately, we have to question everything. There was a tough interview. They have their methods of talking to you. Yeah, but everyone is saying, like, they came at him, like, 100%. Like, Sepp is talking about, like, we brought him into the interview room. We brought his emotions up. We brought his emotions down. They were really, like, pushing him. Of course. Because it usually is the husband, you know? Yeah, and it's been all of my husbands. All of my exes are the ones to blame. So (laughs) The fact that you got out of that last one alive is a real miracle. I know. Do you know sometimes when I refer to Jeff, people think I'm talking about Travis? And I'm like, no, 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 the husband was the okay one. (laughs) It was the one after him that was the fucking crazy one so obviously everybody is exhausting all avenues all possibilities the best friend Toinette then remembers <laughs> this little you guys this story is bananas I know we've said that 40 times but hey get ready to learn about clapping singing monkeys you guys. so she goes I remember this time she was over at my house in Brooklyn I had this funny singing monkey you know those like singing animals you know the monkeys and she said oh <laughs> I want to get one for Jim so she's like I didn't give her my singing monkey I was like this is where I got the singing monkey <laughs> some friend you are Twinette whatever I, I so then they think maybe she was having a seizure while she was shopping for this singing monkey so Twinette turns into a bit of a little like Carmen San Diego sleuth herself and she yeah. goes to the store in the town and tries to find the monkey so I went on foot to find the store that was selling this singing monkey in the gift aisle Toinette finds the exact monkey Pat had been searching for then she shows a photo of Pat to the first clerk she sees and the girl amazingly remembered that Pat was there and she saw her she goes up to the clerk and was like, by the way, did you see a woman who looks like this shopping for this monkey? And like the woman at like the CVS or whatever was like, I did. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but in fairness, I got to say it is New Jersey and this town is seven tenths of a mile wide. I feel like every single person in this town looks exactly like Pat. You know what I mean? Totally. I just wrote yay for people who pay attention to things. Yeah. But like. She was like a middle-aged woman with like short brown hair. That's what every person in New Jersey over the age of 42 looks like. So like Toinette and Jim are in cahoots on like, she's like, all right, I talked to the lady at the store. She said she did see her buying the flying, singing, clapping monkey. We got to look at all the hospitals (laughs) in the area. And so Jim gets not just pictures, but video, video, and takes it to every local hospital. It's like, is my wife here? No. And of course they don't find her. And the cops are like, yeah, no, like. If she was in a hospital, we would know. Right. If there was a woman in a hospital in our seven-tenths of a mile wide town who didn't know who she was, they would have called us, sis. We would have told you. Yeah. And we would have known that an unidentified person came in. Yeah. So a month later, you know, they're doing everything, the TV, the news, the newspapers, anything that they could. And in East Strasburg, Pennsylvania, about 70 miles away from Bogota, a man says he saw Pat. I love this shit. These Sightings like this are the reason, like, missing persons cases make me crazy. Right, and Jim was like, that's actually not a crazy idea. We have a timeshare in East Stroudsburg. And Jim was like, maybe she wanted to get out of town. So Jim wastes no time, slaps up papers, (laughs) missing persons flyers everywhere all over town. Anything that's not nailed down, he got a $10,000 reward. He got TV coverage in the local Stroudsburg area. He talked to everyone. This man is the sweetest. And, like... Like, can you imagine, this is the thing that would happen to me, that, like, she went to get away for a few days and then, like, suddenly developed amnesia and can't remember who she is or why she's there. Like, that's the kind of shit that I feel like would happen to me. Yeah, but you would be faking. (laughs) You'd be like, I can't remember a thing. And then, like, I wave, like, a cheeseburger in front of your face and you're like, Shake Shack? Like, no. (laughs) 
Yeah, that 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 all tracks. But you know, they don't find her, you know, and like all of a sudden months are passing and it's a year. You know, every time they get a press hit, there's dozens of sightings and tips. But that sort of like slowly grinds to a halt. And then there's like no news in the case. Then this, this is so weird and so cruel. It's a year later. This is like a year after she's been missing. And the cops get a call and this person on the other line says, I was working one night in the detective bureau and my phone rang. And a gentleman on the other end just came right out and said, I killed Pat Viola. The exact words were, I killed the old girl. It really piqued my interest, although... The person did say one thing that was very odd. I have her driver's license. Well, she didn't have a driver's license. So they record the conversation and they trace the call to a place in Florida. The man tells the authorities that he was going to get on a bus headed to Massachusetts with a woman. And they name the woman, which they don't in the episode, but he names the woman. So they go and they cut off this bus on the highway. They make the bus turn around. New York and New Jersey area police mobilize a unit in North Carolina to stop the bus on the highway. But once on board, they find no one that could possibly be the caller. But they do find the woman he mentioned, and she knows exactly what's going on. She confirmed for us that it was her ex-boyfriend, and her ex-boyfriend was harassing her because she'd left him for another man and was going up to his place in Massachusetts. And it was all some jilted dude who was trying to get back at this woman using Pat because they knew that she would, like, get pulled over. It was all just a big harassment ploy for this, like, douche fucker to get back at his ex-girlfriend. Because she was, like, going to Massachusetts to be with another guy. And I was just like, this is some shit that, like, some guy that you've dated would do. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) yes. You can definitely look up all of my ex-boyfriends on www.noonegivesashitaboutyou.com. They're all there. And... And just take a look at them because they would have done something heinous like that. Why are people fucking crazy? But, like, think about the resources that went into this because the cop, like, took this call seriously. Absolutely. You know, they're dealing with the cops down in Florida. They pulled the bus over. Could you imagine pulling a Greyhound bus over? But can you imagine being the woman on the bus? Can you imagine if this were you and you break up with another insane person because those are the only kind of men that you date. Super sexy, totally insane. Yeah. And then, like, you're on a bus and you hear the sirens and you just know it's for you. Yeah. You don't even know what it is. You just know it's for you. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, Gladys. Uh, hold hold yeah. our bridge game because I'm playing bridge with Gladys next to me. Hold it. That's probably for me. Is that for me? Yeah. Are you looking for Ellen? Mar- I'm right here. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. So sorry. Yeah, BRB. I've, I've had some doozies. And I, unlike Adele, do not wish the best for them. I don't know how Adele is such a bigger person than me, but I do not wish the best for any of them. So we meet P.I. Gary Miko. Yeah. And Gary Miko's got his some time on his hands because Gary Miko (laughs) just starts Googling missing persons. I came onto this case by reading an article online about the plight of the missing and the unidentified in our country. And it was appalled. I didn't know what I could do. I thought maybe I could help someone. I began by searching missing persons in New Jersey and stumbled across the Patricia Viola website. Miko is touched by how much time and effort has been poured into creating the website. He calls Jim Viola to volunteer his services. But that's how you become a PI, I feel like. I feel like if you're one of those weirdos like me who, like, you know, it's late at night and you can't sleep and you're like, I'm going to figure out what happened to Maura Murray. Yeah. I'm going to find her. <laughs> I'm going to do it I'm gonna tonight. I'm going to find her tonight. Tonight's the yeah. night. You Then you're like, I think I'm good at this because you know how to work Google. But every time we meet one of these private investigators, they're always giving up their services for free. They're like, nah, it's for free. I, I was just up Googling. I was just up Googling I and I found some shit. So <laughs> Gary Miko calls Jim and offers his services and he heads to Bogota and he does some digging and he finds the mailman and the mailman's like yeah I mean it's crazy that that happened right across the street from that thing that happened in 1997. You guys can you remember that this town is seven tenths of a mile and you're gonna find out the shit that has gone down in this fucking town. If you live in Bogota, New Jersey get the fuck out. It is not safe. (laughs) And then Gary Miko's like say what now? What happened in 1997? Mailman sir. Investigator Miko surprised to learn that another dark event occurred on Chestnut Avenue. October 23rd, 1997, there was a triple homicide 
in a house across the street from where Jim Viola and his wife Pat lived. It was a robbery that turned bad, and the home invasion turned out to be the scene of a triple homicide. There was a triple homicide. A triple homicide. Shut this town down. I want the town evacuated. Empty it out. <laughs> it's seven-tenths of a mile. There was a triple homicide. Get everybody out of there. So this was a home invasion that turned into a triple homicide. The people who lived in that house were diamond dealers, and, like, people were breaking in to steal gems, and they just killed them all. I learned a lot about the diamond business when I worked on cruise ships. It is very, very shady. Are you serious? What did you learn? Tell us two things. Basically, there's, like, ten guys who have all the diamonds. Literally, there's, like, <laughs> ten guys. And they have a box of diamonds. And, like, if you want to come buy my box of diamonds, I'm like, for this box of diamonds is, like, a hundred bajillion dollars. And you can say yes or you can say no, but you're not looking at the diamonds. You're not touching oh, the diamonds. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You're not t- Do you want the diamonds or no? Because if you don't, he'll want it. Oh, it my is, God. Yeah. Really? It's like, take the diamonds or don't take the diamonds, son. Yeah. And it's, like, ten <laughs> guys in a room. And they've all got guns pointed at each other. I made that part up. I made that part up. <laughs> I just imagine them being like, but yeah, so it is crazy. This story gets even crazier because yeah. this guy, the PI, is trying to connect this triple homicide to Pat going missing. Like, it seems like they should be connected. And what they find out is that, like, the trial for this triple homicide was happening at the time that Pat went missing. And what we know about how the guys that did the murder got caught was that people in the neighborhood, witnesses in the neighborhood, saw the guys. They saw them, and they ratted them out. And so, like, the question is, at the time that Pat goes missing and the trial is underway, the cops get word from a jailhouse snitch that one of the guys on trial for this triple homicide is actually looking for a hitman to kill the witnesses from Pat and Jim's neighborhood that turned him in. And I guess the thought is that since Pat lived across the street, maybe she was one of the witnesses, and so these bad guys had her killed? Even the PI is like, this is all a stretch, but it's 10 years on, and she's not here, so you gotta look into it. Yeah, and also the timing of it. The timing of the guy who was on trial was the exact time she went missing. I mean, that's crazy. You guys, if you live on this street in Bogota, New Jersey, where in one house there was a triple homicide and in the other house a lady went missing and there was no clues for 10 years, get the fuck off that street. Put that (laughs) shit on Zillow. It's a good time to sell. Get out. Just move. That street is not safe. No one is safe. Everyone get the fuck out of Bogota, New Jersey. Bogota. So in the meantime, the family diligently was trying to, you know, find Patricia. In 2008, they worked to get Patricia's law passed, and it went into effect, which puts DNA profiles of missing people into a national database so that they can be matched with identified corpses in hospitals, and also that included body parts. And that was one of the reasons Patricia was able to be identified. Yeah, so I'll just say that, like, the episode ends with no news. Like, the episode ends, it's 10, 11 years later. She's, like, still missing there's no clues literally no clues and then what's the update girl well remains were found on a new york beach in 2002 obviously they weren't able to identify and match it because it was partial it was body parts that were found Uh and it wasn't until 10 years later that they were able to match the dna of Patricia Viola. So it was her and the family did have closure and they did have a proper burial and service for her. However, they still do not know what happened. Are there theories? Does anybody have any theories about what happened? I mean, I read loads of theories on like I went and, you know, into a Reddit you know, K-hole and people, you know, some people thought she had died by suicide, but a lot of people thought, I mean, that alarm going off that day, it makes it seem like someone broke into her home and waited there for her. I do think that the informant theory does hold water, but there is nothing in that poor family. They were at least able to lay her to rest, but they don't have any answers, sadly. Oh, say something funny, girl. When you line up all my exes, what is a bigger deciding factor? How insanely abusive they were or how hot they were? I want to bone every last one of them, no matter what they've done to you. Right. And Girl, I love 
you, I will not have sex with any of your exes, no matter how much they beg. I promise you. You are so sweet. Thank People talk you. shit about you all the time, and they're wrong. Yeah, they you are. You are devoted to me. <laughs> You guys, if you want more Ellen and me, join us on our Patreon. Three full bonus episodes every month. There's over nine that you can download and binge right this minute. You also get our Friday Night Live as a podcast Monday morning. You get our amazing trivia that over a thousand people come to every single month. You can play it at home. We have at-home winners. We send you prizes. It really is the cat's meow, don't you think, girl? Yeah, we are the cat's meow. We love it. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Disappeared Pod. You can also find us on Twitter. Come join the Facebook group with all of your favorite true crime weirdos. We're at the Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. We're there all the time. We love you. I love you, girl. I love you, too. Hey, let's say a grand welcome to Jennifer Swatek. She's our new mixer, editor, engineer, audio genius. You guys, she's with us now. We are in such good hands. We love her so much. She's so talented, and we are so happy to have her. We're going to try not to drive her away the way we've driven all the other ones away. I know. Love you. I love you. Bye. Bye. Pagoda. It's just, it's just pagoda. I love how you think you're fancy. Like, for example, how do you say like a flaky pastry? Like a French one? Yeah, French one. Yeah. How would you say it? I say croissant. How do you say it? Okay. Well, you, you're wrong. So there's that. So you say a lot of words wrong. But how do you say that word? You, I say it the right way. And that is. So there you go. You say a lot of words wrong. I mean, these people have seen your misspelled promo things, your misspellings on the description on the podcast. You were all thumbs on your best day, Patricia. Hey, girl, you're more than welcome to take on more responsibility around here anytime. Okay. If I just, like, through the computer, if I throw fertilizer into your mouth, will you grow up? Is that what it takes? Because I have some from my new plant. I got it, and I was thinking, what else needs to grow up? Oh, that's right. I was once picked up by a lesbian on the tee. <laughs> I was very flattered because lesbians are way pickier than men. Men are stupid and basic. Lesbians have taste. If a lesbian That's hits true. on me, I'm like, I feel good about myself. If a man hits on me, I'm like, yeah, fuck. <laughs> I, I can only imagine, too, you being a heterosexual probably still went on like a date or two with her because you're nice. <laughs> and you didn't know how to let her know that you aren't actually attracted to women. I had a listener DM me and said, can I ask you a personal question? I'm like, always. I love to spill tea about myself. And she goes, why are you super straight? (laughs) That's what the message said. And your reply was just like, it's the tits. It's not, I don't know. I know. I'm I'm less than. I'm less than. Listen, (laughs) anytime a lesbian gives me a compliment, I take it tenfold. Thank you. You're, you're, You're quite welcome. 